Well, thank you, musicians, for leading us so ably to God's throne and for such God-centered worship. Very warm welcome, if I may add, to Brampith, to each and every one of you. Uh, it is great to see faces that we don't normally see coming to an evening service the last few months. So uh, a joy to see you and a very warm welcome. Let's ask God to lead us to his word. Yes, our Father, we want to behold our God seated on his throne as we consider your word to us. Would you take any words of men who are but frail and cracked jars of clay and glorify your precious word and take away any error that may exist, that only your truth would shine in our hearts this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen. I am truly blessed with a wonderful, godly wife. She didn't know I was going to say that. Uh, we just celebrated our 21st anniversary, and she displays the graces of her faith in uh, so many ways, probably mainly by faithfully loving me, helping me, and putting up with me, which I indeed takes special grace. Um, Mainly, she's so faithful because she's very serious about the Word of God. So much so that she says there's a whole lot of pages that says Hebrews, which means I have to deliver coffee uh, every morning to her in bed. Um, and so I obey, I brew. And um, I have to get it absolutely right in this biblical role. Uh, the right amount of sugar, properly stirred. Some grains in the bottom of the cup, and uh, she doesn't send it back. She's too gracious for that, but it's simply not allowed. So I've learned to stir properly. Uh, the final product is inferior without stirring. And if you are a fan of MasterChef, as we are, you will know that many a candidate has gone home because they didn't stir properly. Some sauce or another was lumpy because there was insufficient stirring. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. The writer to the Hebrews also believes that stirring is absolutely essential for the final product of a believer in a New Testament church. Listen to Hebrews 10, and if you can stay open there during our time together, that would be wonderful if you have your Bibles or device with you. Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So stirring is so important to the writer that he says, let us consider how to stir. And that Greek word consider means very serious, deep, and careful 
thought. It's the same word used to describe what Moses did when he saw the burning bush. He didn't just say, oh, that's interesting, and kind of wandered off, and it's just a fleeting thought. He said, oh my goodness, I've never seen anything like this. What is this? Let me investigate. Let me find out what is going on. And that's the kind of spirit that we need to approach God's word together now. Let us consider, investigate deeply and carefully the meaning of this passage. And so, we are going to look together, as you can see on the screen, at three simple questions about stirring. What does it mean? What does the Bible mean when it says stir up one another? Why should we do it? What's the need? What's the real purpose? And then finally, how can we stir up one another? So, firstly, what is stirring? What does it mean? Well, the word stir is also translated stimulate, provoke, incite, even irritate one another. So those of you who are irritated by each other, there's biblical warrant. Irritate one another to love and good deeds. It's the same word used in Acts to describe what happened in Paul's soul when he wandered through the, uh, Athens and saw all the memorials and statues and idols to the various gods of the pagan society. It stirred his soul up to go to Mars Hill and preach the gospel with power to those philosophers. And so this means to incite some form of action. I can a, a picture, a picture came to my mind of, of a, a wild animal in a cage and you take a stick and you poke it and you, you stir it and you irritate it and you incite it and you provoke it until it wakes up and it snarls at you. Now you've got some action. You have stirred up that creature. Um, if you go to the Greek word, which is the next heading on your, on your, on your screen, you'll see that uh, the word actually for stirring is paroxysm. And, and that means an excited emotional reaction. An excited emotional reaction and um, like a paroxysm of rage or anger or coughing. So we are being instructed to incite, stir, and irritate one another to a definite and purposeful action. So what is that action? Again, we're still asking what. Well, the next heading is, it is to encourage one another uh, more and more. It's the next slide, guys. Uh, brothers and sisters, encourage one another more and more to love and good deeds. Paroxysm towards love and good deeds. So we are clearly being told by our Lord here in his word that the church, that's us, should be a hive of active love, loving one another, and serving one another. It's a community full of dynamism, inspired by the Holy Spirit. That is what church life 
is about. Sitting here on Sunday is only one element. It's an important element. Paul told Timothy to preach, preach, preach a lot. Gather on Sunday and preach. But it's only one element of multiple pictures of the New Testament church. And um, we need to be showing, once you go from here, inspired hopefully, to love and perform good works for one another in a lost world out there. That's church life. Church is not a bunch of consumers paying a tithe or a fee to have others serve them and then get upset and register a complaint, customer complaint, when things don't happen their way. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Ephesians 2 verse 10, Paul said, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for sitting in church on Sunday. No. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see the action that we must be stirred to? Titus 3.14 And let our people learn to devote themselves. That's again action. To good works. So as to help cases of urgent need, don't we have many of those, and not be unfruitful. So brothers and sisters, may I ask, how are you doing in stirring and being stirred to love and good deeds? Or is your sugar sinking to the bottom? Or your white sauce lumpy? for lack of stirring. So we've seen what we mean by stirring and what it is to which we must be stirred. We now want to move to why. Why is it so important and what is the, why must we stir one another up? Well, the main purpose of the letter to the book of Hebrews, or letter to the Hebrews, was to encourage and warn Jewish believers who were experiencing harrowing persecution from their fellow Jews. And in many ways, the writer encourages, exhorts, and warns them not to give up and fall away from the faith. We see a touch of this in the verse immediately before our passage, verse 23, chapter 10, Hebrews. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Believers were wavering. They were fading. They were wanting to give up. They were leaving the church. Is it any different today? The church today is under persecution, even in the West faces trials of increasing isolation and abuse. Uh, nowhere near like Nero in the New Testament, yes, and nowhere near what the persecuted church experiences relentlessly week by week. However, you have noticed, even here at HBC, 
slightest difficulty, stress, pressure, and people waver. They let go and fade. And so that is a pattern and has always been. And so we, that's why we need to stir one another up. Please note, brothers and sisters, our verse does not say, let the elders and deacons consider how to stir up the flock. It doesn't even say, stir up yourself. There are other encouragements in Scripture to have our own private devotions and prayer, yes. But here the focus is stir up one another. And this is only one of the 60 or so one another's in the New Testament, folks. So brothers and sisters, please, please hear the truth of the Word of God. Our perseverance and sanctification is a community project. You cannot be a New Testament believer on your own. Can I say it again? You cannot be a Christian by yourself. And this is why we ought to stir one another up. God made it that way. We need each other. He designed the church for that. And that is why Brian Borgman, one of my favorite preachers, uh, in his sermon on this passage said, individualism and our inordinate commitment to our rights of privacy are the most insidious disease in the church today. We have our own little kingdom and we a little corner belongs to the church when, in fact, the church is the kingdom and should be our kingdom. And so, as you can see, uh, the first reason for why we should um, stir one another up, it's because it's a community project. The Bible is very clear on that. And then also, whether we are being persecuted or not, we all face a struggle with sin. Our hearts, as John Calvin said, are an idol factory. We love to worship other things more than our glorious God, who sent his Son to save us from our sin. All believers from the most experienced elder in the church to the newest babe in Christ, are in this relentless struggle until we die or until Jesus comes. You and I, as we sit here, are in a struggle against sin and interruptions. <laughs> And it will carry on till we die. It will carry on till we die. And that's why the same writer says a very similar thing in Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. And notice the theme again. Leading you to fall away from the living God. And how do we address that? Verse 13 of chapter 3. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, 
that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are all in that struggle and we are not immune from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's why we need to stir one another up, brothers and sisters. And so, this is why we should be stirrers. God has designed it this way. We cannot survive as Christians without each other. We need each other desperately to be giving and receiving stirring. To what extent are you engaged in such a process in HBC? Maybe your answer is, okay, the word of God seems fairly clear, and I feel the need, I see the need, yes, I struggle with sin, yes, I have issues that I'd love help with, but how? How, how do I do it? Well, I'm glad you asked, because our passage tells us. So, let's go to our third question and spend perhaps more time here. Having known what stirring is, having seen why it's important, how should we be stirrers? Well, in, it's clear in our passage that stirring one another up can only take place in the context of meeting together, in the context of meeting together. The Greek word is the one from which we get synagogue, which simply means assembling together and was the practice of the people of God for centuries. May I ask, brothers and sisters, how can we stir up one another? How can you stir up a brother or a sister Unless you actually engage with each other. The spoon must be in the cup stirring. You can't stir a cup of coffee online or digitally. You must engage face to face. That's what Billy's been preaching in Thessalonians. Yes, the apostles wrote letters. Like we can send an email or a WhatsApp to encourage and, and, and exhort one another. But the primary meaning and thrust of the whole of those letters is meet, 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 gather, 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 assemble, 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 be together. And as I hope you can see on the screen, Brian Borgman talks in the New Testament of um, concentric circles. Concentric circles. That's not the slide, but no problem. There we, uh, so we'll get there. Um, Jesus had 70 disciples, didn't he? We don't read too much about it, but clearly that was a process of organizing and deciding that the 70 went out. He also had the 12. We know much more about them. The Garden of Gethsemane, we see who was with him close and intimate. Peter, James, and John. In the Last Supper, who do we see leaning on Jesus, the disciple whom he loved? John. Concentric circles. Lots of people, fewer people, one person. And the New Testament in the book of Acts tells us the same story, does it not? 
the early church, of which there were about 15,000 people, it was, it was a mega church in Jerusalem, um, attended temple. So there was the formal meeting gathered in the temple to hear the preached word. Then there were formal meetings in homes daily. There were informal meetings in homes for fellowship and meals and encouraging one another. And then there are examples of one-on-one discipling. And so we see this pattern of meetings in concentric circles uh, all over the Bible and all over the New Testament, especially. And so churches should be thriving with meetings, some official, some unofficial, all happening naturally because we love one another and want to serve one another and need to stir and be stirred. We all need admonishing. We don't like it, but we need it. We all need encouraging. We all need burdens to be carried. We need teaching from one another. We need praying for one another. And we need these, as our passage says, more and more. So again, the question, brothers and sisters, how much of your life is spent positively engaging in meeting with fellow members, whatever kind of meeting. Not really talking about social gatherings where we have fun watching sport or brying and talking about life and what our hobbies and so on, not that that's sin, but the meetings in our passage are not meetings where we talk about everything but Jesus and our walk with him and our struggles, and our needs, and our joys, and our learnings together. That's the kind of meeting the scriptures are talking about. So let's get down to brass tacks. Paul Tripp in his sermons quite often says, now I'm going to hurt your feelings. So brace yourself. I'm preaching to the converted here, as Brahm said earlier. How regular are you at Sunday services? Let's start in the concentric circles. At elders' meeting on Friday, we considered the number of members, not talking about adherents, who have hardly returned to church life. We are deliberately at HBC, not like mega churches where you can come and go and nobody really knows. Um, or seeker-sensitive churches where if you go missing for a while, you won't be challenged because your feelings might be hurt, your independence challenged, your private life challenged. HBC will always hold, God willing, and he is, a high and biblical view of church membership. And we were concerned because there are 53 members, 20% of our flock, one-fifth, who've not been to one gathering this whole year. Not one. We can't measure online, but we don't really count that. We are not together gathering face-to-face online. 115 members, that's 43% of our flock, have attended live gatherings eight or less times. 
that's less than a third, way less than a third of the Sundays available. There's a gap here from what this passage is saying and the reality we are experiencing. And you heard it happening around the world. It was mentioned in our missionary spot as well. It's, it's, a, it's a trend. Now, with, we can understand there's COVID. And so we do understand that we're living in a time with real and concerning constraints. And we understand that. But as vaccinations are rolling out and as uh, numbers are opening and as the legislation is loosening, we are understanding less and less as your elders and are more and more burdened. People just don't want to come to service. Should be the core of your life. Should be the thing you look forward to most every week. And folks, let's stir one another up because if the elders were to chase 150 people properly, it would take us ages. We can't. And Paul says in Galatians 6 verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, as a signed up member, not coming to church is a transgression. Let's just face it. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Notice, it doesn't say elders. You who are spiritual. And then it says, keep watch on yourself lest you also be tempted. But guys, that, those people who are spiritual, what does that mean? Is it the A class? Is it the spiritual higher grade among us? And we've got a little list, I promise you. No. Uh, it means any believer, anyone who has the Spirit of Christ. Those are the spiritual ones. Paul uses that word in that way throughout the New Testament. And so you need to be stirring up your brothers and sisters that have disappeared along with us, please. Then, of course, there's not just formal Sunday services where it's not possible to practice all the one another. So we're looking at these concentric circles. If we get a bit closer, you can only really get to know one another in either hospitality contexts or home groups. And hospitality is informal, but home groups are formal and happen every week in this church barring school holidays. Dear brothers and sisters, home groups are an essential part of church life. We believe, as your elders, you cannot do New Testament church life without belonging to a home group. There we've said it. Why? Well, it's the 61 and others. How can you stir up one another to love and good deeds if you don't even know people's names where they come from, their highs and lows, their hurts and pains, their joys. They've just had a grandchild and they're over the moon. They've just lost a grandchild and they're mourning deeply. And now we come alongside and we stir one another up to love and good deeds. How can you do it without engaging regularly with people and getting to know them? You can't. Then there is... Hospitality, 
When last did you invite someone into your home, not your closest friends that you have regularly, someone you don't really know too well, with the specific purpose of exhorting them to love and good deeds, of stirring them up, of inciting them, or yes, even irritating them to love and good deeds. And then there's discipling. Brahm prayed for it in his prayer, and, and we are increasingly burdened about it on the eldership as well. To what extent do we have relationships that are one-on-one -on -one where we have eyeball to eyeball over a cup of coffee or a meal or whatever, whenever we can, one-to-one -one intimate react, interaction, reading a book together, discussing scriptures together, sharing burdens together, praying for one another. Yes, you can't do that with everybody, but just one or two. This is the life of, of, of a church. It's not rocket science and it's not A-grade church. It's biblical church. So, uh, we have seen that how do we do stirring up one another? Well, we do engage in meetings concentrically. And related to it, because this passage actually is more negative than positive, uh, we must avoid the bad habit of not meeting. And, and it's interesting that Reformed pastor and author Dr. Kevin DeYoung has done research and estimates that 25% of members of so-called evangelical churches in America have not returned after COVID. 25%. This is startling. It's disturbing. And we have to ask, why? Is it possible that these folks were just nominal Christians who are not missing the vitally necessary church community life enough to bother to return? They've learned the habit of chilling at home and don't even think about it anymore. You may know that at HBC we have 10 men on a three-year leadership program called Quarry. And we've just finished the final module. The three years are over. We just have a retreat to come. And the last section are four modules on influencing one another in the church through four fundamental ministries, all of which involve meeting, by the way. And our second to last module was on home groups. And the ten brothers and some of their wives who join with them read up all the stuff on home groups and came to the meeting full of vim and vigor. And we had really great debate and discussion. And then the meeting got a bit somber because the reality is we, we came to see there are 80 members, members of Hillcrest Baptist Church who, in terms of our records, have never been to a home group. They don't belong to a home group. 80. And so we began talking about, well, why is this? We promote home groups a lot. It's in the bulletin every week. We reach out to people. We preach sermons like I'm doing now quite regularly. In fact, one, one of the brothers said, every time you've preached, you blooming mention home groups. Uh, anyway, so I'm doing it again now. 
And the, the, the kind of excuses that we listed there, people say they're too busy. I think that was top of the list. Well, I have a young family. I'm tired after a long day. Don't believe I'll really benefit. I've had a previous bad experience. I'm a shy person and I prefer keeping to myself. Uh, Hillcrest Baptist people are not really my kind of people. I've heard that one. In the end, we agreed as a group of 10 brothers, 11, including me, in the light of the clear picture of church life in the New Testament and the benefits of stirring one another up and practicing the one another's, none of these is a valid excuse. Especially when online home groups are now available. Don't even have to go out if you have children or you're a widow on your own and don't want to drive at night. Of course those are understandable things. But connect in some way, even if it's second best. The trouble is it's become a habit. I'm not a home group person. I don't even think about it anymore. It's just the way I am. You drove here in your car. If I asked you how many times you changed gear and used your indicator, you probably couldn't tell me. Why? It's a habit. You do it without thinking. And that's what the writer is saying. As is the habit of some, you don't meet just without even thinking you don't meet. And so this is a sermon that says, think about it. Break that habit of not thinking. So, finally, how can we stir one another up to stir one another up in meetings? And so I want to close with this. A right view of God and His church. You see, it starts deep down in your hearts and our, my hearts, brother and sister. Scripture teaches that our commitment to church life is not driven primarily by a sense of duty and obligation and guilt because we might be on a low attendance list and get that letter that Brahm spoke about. Yes, sometimes we might need that. But primarily, our biblical motivation is a right view of God, His church, and ourselves. And our passage tells us that because, have a look, just rewind up. Remember Clint always telling us, context is everything. You come to a verse, look at the stream flowing before the verse and the stream flowing after the verse. So before that verse, in verse 21, have a look. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, the church. Who is the head of the church? Who is our priest? It's not Billy and Brahm and the elders. It's Jesus, our great high priest, who suffered and died and bought you with his blood. As Paul said, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. You're like a slave. But it's an awesome job. To be a slave of Jesus, purchased by his blood out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope 
without wavering. Four, there's an attendance list that will clap you. No. For he, God, who promised, is faithful. And we sang before the sermon, Behold our God seated on the throne. The glorious God of the universe, who just spoke galaxies by the trillion into place, has designed this church and placed you here. It's his church. And his son said, I will build it. Though hell, against the gates of hell, I'm going to build my church. It's the Lord Jesus' core purpose. The great high priest seated on the throne next to God the Father. His main preoccupation, the Bible says, is the building of his church. That's how important church is. And listen to what Paul says, God says about his church. Ephesians 3 verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's like God has this trophy on his shelf. And he's saying to all the angelic hosts and maybe even the satanic demons, look at my church. I bought it. I'm growing it. The gates of hell will not prevail. And we don't even attend for a year. It makes no sense. We've got no view of God and, and what the church means to him. If we're not around and not involved, your elders are grieving and praying about this, brothers and sisters. Your identity should be I am a believer. That's my ID card. Saved by grace. And serving as an active member at HBC or any other local church that preaches the Bible. I also happen to be a mother, a father, grandparent, student, employee, a boss, business owner, golfer, gardener, retiree, Springbok fan, blues music fan. Whatever you are, come second. It's not the other way around when, when you introduce yourself. This is my grandson. These are my children and this is my life. Don't come near my children, especially you teachers at school. I'll be in the headmaster's office. And your whole life is around your children and when they leave, you're lost. You don't even know your husband anymore. Well, you see, we are so prone to worship idols. And the... The antidote is to stir one another up by having God and His church central in our lives and seeing our role in that as number one priority. That's who we are. Everything else flows 
from that. I'm not a parent or businessman who happens to attend HBC every now and again. So, in closing, after examining your view of God, His church, and yourself, please, please plan. Nothing happens unless you plan to do it. To attend more Sunday services. Some of you attend regularly. Both services on a Sunday. Maybe you are once a month. Maybe you are a one service a day. Aim at coming on Sunday nights. We've got great service plans for Sunday evenings. They're different from the mornings now. Come along. Stir one another up. Plan to join a home group if you don't belong. Or attend yours more regularly if you, if you are irregular. Plan to visit and invite folks in your home and in their homes. Start a discipling relationship with someone. Pray about it. Ask God to lay someone on your heart. And if these exhortations sound like, yeah, these oaks are hectic, eh? Hillcrest Baptist, it's a bit of a cult, eh? Their demands are very high and they judge you very quickly and they've got lots of rules and regulations. Beware. If that is your heart, you're in danger of falling away. God's people love to be together and hear the word and love one another and serve one another. Because that's where our true joy is found. What has Billy preached the last few weeks from Thessalonians? What is God's will for you? Your sanctification. You see, these are people that are there regularly. Um, Your sanctification. And what have we seen this morning? Our sanctification is a community project. God is challenging you To stir and be stirred. Let's pray. Oh, our God. Your wisdom is amazing and we worship you. You have created your church, the pillar of truth in the world. And that's us, your frail, sinful children. Oh God, would you inspire us to do church your way, to have you and your beloved blood-bought church by your Son, number one in our lives, so that we may grow and be sanctified and be a light to a dark world, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.